listening to Culture Matters, a podcast of the Village Church. This is Adam Hawkins. My co-host, Adam Griffin, is away on sabbatical. Today, you're in for a treat. We have Matt Chandler and David Roark with us, and they have written an incredible new book uh, from the Village Church Resources. It's called Take Heart, Christian Courage in the Age of Unbelief. We're here with Matt Chandler, lead pastor of the Village Church, my boss and former host of the Culture Matters show. So he's the OG. Matt, how are you doing? You know, I'm well. I always wonder, like, if I'm the boss, how come I'm not doing this podcast anymore? That's a good question. And just, I mean, it's just a good question. It's like, just like, like, hey. You brought this up before. You're going to have to ask our I'm other fine. guest I've, today, David listen, Roark, who's I'm our producer of the show. Before the Lord. I'm... I have a happy heart in his providence. Uh, David, why did you fire both Matt and Josh? It was more, it wasn't a firing. Maybe it was. Did I get fired? You did not. No one got fired. Okay. To be very clear, no one got fired. There were conversations. There were leanings. Everyone was on the same page. You've heard it here first, folks. Yes. No one got fired. Hey, we're here today to talk. glad to be back. (laughs) I'm glad you're here. Yeah. We're here today to talk about David and Matt's new book. Matt's Matt's new book. I just I just helped. Matt's new book mm. with a little bit of help from David. I appreciate uh, that. It's I've read it uh, or most of it. Um, it's published by the Good Book Company. They have awesome resources, uh, and and this is no exception. So it's a shorter book, uh, easily digestible, and really approaches an important topic. Uh, the premise being that um, in, in this age where we we Christianity maybe no longer sort of carries the cultural weight it once used to, um, are we to be scared? Are we to be shrinking back? Or are we to be courageous? And this book would argue the latter. And so uh, I guess the first place to start is why this book? Why now? Yeah. So I'll, I'll start us off. The man, I, I'm, I left Dallas uh, to do an Acts 29 um, pastor's conference, basically our European conference. And it happened that year to be in Rome, uh, which sounds like you're really suffering for the gospel, right? Like, um, <laughs> so head to Rome and we, we teach the, the pastors from around Europe there, uh, do some training. And then uh, after that, man, we had to just kind of see some of the sites in Rome and uh, went to the Colosseum and, and paid whatever, 20 euro or whatever to, to walk through the ruins. And, you know, you'd already seen Maritime Prison where apparently, you know, Paul was. And then you've got these, you've got all these markers of the, what I think could arguably said the greatest civilization the world's ever known. Uh, which I know our American listeners will be like, oh yeah, but uh, <laughs> but just thinking about the the size and the centuries that the Roman Empire ruled the known world, um, man, I, I'm a Christian who just paid 20 euros at the time. I think that was 18 U.S. dollars to walk through their trophies of power, um, and that this this nation had this pretty extended season where they had set their heart on killing us, destroying us. Uh, and the gospel was the undoing of the Roman Empire. And mm-hmm. here I am coming from Texas. And and having left Texas, some of these thoughts started hitting me about just how fragile everybody feels right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all of like social media to news outlets, regardless of which news outlet you're watching, it, it's always gloom. It's always doom, specifically around the Christian faith, uh, who we are is being misunderstood, how we're being painted uh, is far from accurate. A lot of characterization. A lot of it, it, and so there's a real sense of vulnerability 
uh, at least in in the circles that I've been running, and whether that be the X29 churches or here at the village where people are just uncertain of what the future looked like. And so really those two things collided for me uh, as I was walking around the Coliseum and just said, man, when I get home, I want to just talk about Christian courage and what Christian courage is. Yeah. So talk a little bit more about our climate, the climate here in the States. Um, It's obviously not what it was in those you know, those dark times in Rome where they were crucifying Christians in the Colosseum or feeding them to the lions or whatever. Um, But but we're hearing words like post-Christian. We're hearing words like, you know, or or ideas are coming out where all truth is relative or the only thing that matters is what you believe or even not really believe but feel, these kind of things. Um, uh, How would you describe the climate, David or Matt? Yeah, I mean, the first thing I would say is it's a little bit different for us, too. Right now, you know, we live in the Dallas-Fort Worth metroplex, so yep. we're still experiencing some of the the ways that Christianity is a part of the social norms. Like, you know, we still have people who show up to our churches, in, you know, our different campuses at the village who, you know, they're coming because that's what you do if you live in this area. So that's, yeah. we're, we're not there even close to compared to like when you think about like the West Coast, when you think about the Northeast and places like that. So it's even different here, although you can kind of feel it maybe especially you know we live in Dallas so when you get closer to Dallas there are certain circles certain people that I think you're starting to feel it a little bit more but to me the climate is there was a season I this was maybe you know 10 years ago where you know you have pluralism you have a world where especially the United States more religions are coming here and I feel like the conversation at that point was like okay how can we all live to we may disagree with one another but how can we still find a way to live together for there to be some sort of peace but now that conversation seems to be shifting to like no like your your viewpoint the way you see the world your ideas they're they're not okay and you you are a bigot and you know your church is a hate group if if you don't haven't changed theologically in some of these areas that the church is really being forced and and asked to change and so I, I feel like that's been the the shift um, but it's it's also hard just to put like a word around it because you know people are secular people don't believe in God anymore but you still you have conversations with these people you get to know these people everyone's still searching you see There's that on no the question. the TV shows yeah. that we watch the movies things like that we've talked about that on this podcast before yeah but like I don't think there's there still aren't a lot of those just hard atheists that are just ready to, you know, deny God and deny the concepts. There's still an openness, I think, to, you know, the transcendent and things like that. So it's really hard to define. It's it's a weird space. I liked Matt's word of vulnerability. I think that's what it is. I think there's this new feeling of saying like, um, yeah, the reflection maybe is what you said. There's these lawsuits that are happening. It's not an accepted idea. Christianity isn't sort of the accepted backdrop. There's been this fragmentation of society. But it sort of it sort of feels like Christianity is no longer a live option for at least in sort of the pop culture, right, or whatever. Uh, and so I like that idea of vulnerability. Yeah. That I, I feel well, like that's what that's it, the right it's word. like. Okay, what does this look like? And and then if you're in your 30s and 40s and you're married with children, then you're like, oh my gosh, what is this? So then there's even more fear mm-hmm. of what does this look like for my kids and what does this look like for my grandkids and what is this? Um, and so I, I not only can feel that as a dad, but I can hear that as a son from my wife's parents, my own parents who are like, oh man, I'm just grateful 
you know, they, like we're our our runs ending up, and man, we're praying and heavy hearted for what your kids are going to have to endure and what our grandkids are going to have to endure. And so it, it, it the, it's the right idea or concept of because the truth is, like, I think we're not probably going to hit just a full on secular culture. Yeah, it's going to be you know religious and spiritual, and it, it will be a post truth. Uh, mm. And so it'll be much more of a man. I'm glad that works for you. Yes. Uh, yes. And and I think like even if you go back up where like it's supposed to be hard secular, New York City, yeah. Seattle, Washington, some of these places, it's not. It, it's very spiritual. It's very uh, religious. It's either Eastern mysticism or personal empowerment. But but the idea that atheism is going to somehow bulldoze. Um, the intuitive human sense of there being something more. Yeah. I think it's laughable. Yeah. Um, and so there's going to be these spiritual conversations, but they're new spiritual conversations, right. at least for most Christians, um, because you don't quite know how to handle somebody who's like, oh, man, that's amazing. Glad that works for you. By the way, that thing about homosexuality, though, that I can't believe that's so 400 years ago. I can't believe it. it's people like you that that kind of hostility, I think, Christians will face. But in regards to just whether it's going to be this kind of pluralistic religiosity or atheism and secularism, uh, I think it'll certainly be far more pluralistic pluralistic than we're thinking it will be. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's interesting too, like to think about how relative and um, post-truth it is in some ways, yet there in this movement right now, the Me Too movement, there are moralistic issues, social issues that everyone still just yeah. undeniably maybe there maybe there's some crazies out there who would say something else, but still everyone can all come to terms, all get on the same page and say like, no, it, it's wrong to do this, it's wrong to do that. So you still see how there are these religious moral things that are embedded in our society. But it, but it's certainly hypocritical and not attached to anything. Yeah. So it's it's feelings are fact, right? That's mm-hmm. right. Um, so like even. Um, you know, we were watching the Oscars, which is something I try not to do. Uh, love my wife. We we're watching the Oscars. And so you've got this whole night that, that's rallying around yep. Me Too and these things are. But then you've got this this movie that's up for Best Picture where an older man and a younger man. I mean, right. You're just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought didn't Kevin, Kevin Spacey just get fired for this yeah. and get ostracized? And yet now the Academy has actually... So you can see there's a hypocrisy in it that that's not rooted in reality. And that's where I think people, at least the Christians I know, are going, we don't know how to engage in this world. Yeah. And it frightens them. So if it's just you know presuppositional apologetics, yeah. then okay, man, give me give me a Keller book and a, a cup of coffee or, or another beverage and, and let's talk about... What part of the elephant is the part that we're touching, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, I just realized that if someone hadn't read Reasons for God, that's going to sound like a, r- <laughs> a really strange uh, sentence. But um, but I think that's going to be more of the issue is how do you enter into this space where people are really passionate, but they can't tie it to anything solid yeah. or they're certainly unwilling to. Yeah, so talk about that a little bit more because it's like in the introduction, you know, in the introduction, you talk about three wrong ways to yeah. approach this post-Christian yeah, age. Yeah. yeah. So for Christians, like how how should we then? So there's this fear that sort of enters in, a vulnerability that enters in as we sort of face these this new I don't know this sort of new age. Uh, yeah. And so what are those three ways that we 
shouldn't react, I guess. Yeah, I mean, these categories are not new to this book. You know, True. we borrowed them pretty directly from Andy Crouch's Culture Making, who borrowed them from other books that have been written on mm-hmm. this exact issue. Um, so nothing new there. But in, And to say that anyone falls into one of these three categories, like, Exactly would be, you know, making big generalizations yeah. and not be true to, to how complex people are. But, you know, it does seem like there are one of three categories that everyone falls into. And this is this idea of condemning culture. And you're getting and I know that this is even a debated statement, but like Roger Ayers, you know, the Benedict option, yeah. it's not a it's not a full on removal from culture. So I, I want to be, yeah. you know, nuanced in that. But it's but, close. Yeah, but it's close. You know, he he is telling people to pull their kids out of public school. That's right. He's making some very bold statements like yeah. that. So that to me is this form of like condemning culture where you're pushing away culture, you're removing yourself, you're creating this alternative alternative community. spaces where you can yeah. Yeah, and we can recognize like the good in that. Like that's a part of Israel's witness, the sure. church's witness in the Bible is your witness is that you look different, you feel different. It's not always being in the world that, you know, is um that evangelistic yeah. sort yeah. of method. So um, but we can also see how problematic that is. It, it doesn't recognize that even in that community, there's sin because we're all, you know, we have sin in our hearts. So that this yep. this little neat community that you're trying to create, it's going to be corrupted because yep. there are sinners in that community. And then, you know, converting culture. The easiest example to this is that sort sort of hardcore modern day religious right. Like, you know what, we want to take back culture. You know, America used to look this way. America now looks this way. And I'm, and I'm angry about it. Is this any means necessary kind of a way of like, you know what, I want this society. I want American society in particular to be a Christian society. So I'm willing to sometimes work with people who I wouldn't normally work with institutions. I wouldn't normally work with. I'm willing to give up a lot of my (laughs) moral choices and moral stances. Yeah. Um, in this maybe seemingly bigger effort to Christianize, you know, the, the world that's converting culture and then consuming culture, which is the one that I feel like I see more and more, you know, like in the spaces that I run in, you know, the, the, my Twitter feed. And that's, that's like, okay, culture is changing. So we're going to have to do something about that church. The church is going to have to get on board with culture or else we're just going to die. And what you see is Christians and churches, denominations, bending what have been historical convictions and beliefs, doctrines, and changing those in light of what's happening, you know, in in popular culture, especially around the, you know, the issue of sexuality. That's the, that's the, the hot button. Well, and I, you know, I think it's important to know, um, like even for people listening to the podcast, like we've been here before. Mm. It it was just more what you want to do with the Bible and whether or not you believe the Bible's inerrant or not. And so even, even 60, 70 years ago, there was this massive debate about the authority of the Bible. Mm-hmm. And and you saw the same thing happen where many a churches, specifically mainline Protestant churches, um, decided, no, 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 we, we're not going to believe in the authority and sufficiency of the scriptures. Um, we're going to kind of pick and choose. And they and they and I'm certainly not representing them as fairly as they would like to be represented. <laughs> sure. Um, and then I, I heard a guy who's uh, a church planner in New York City, and, and this is probably an oversimplification, but, but he would point back to that moment and say that um, the, the greatest need for those mainline Protestant churches in New York City is finding someone to lease out their space. And the greatest need of those who chose the inerrancy and sufficiency of Scripture is finding space to rent. Uh, and I thought that was a pretty, pretty bold kind of, mm. this is the, 
this is the fruit mm. of siding against the historic tenets of the Christian faith. And then going back to the ruins of Rome, yeah. I, I just think we've got a lot of history that says, and we say this in the book, um, that Christian courage is the undoing of every great empire but the kingdom of God. Yeah. And so it yeah, so so even as we say this, I'm just reminded, gosh, we've been here before. Yeah. The church is it, nothing new. Yeah, no, the church has gone, you know what? That's too difficult. I'm gonna just side with culture on this one because they're looking at us like we're crazy and we're getting persecuted and we're and we just really want people to understand God, but this thing about God is kind of embarrassing. So let's kind of hide that and Yeah, and you even have Gnosticism in the early yeah, church. Absolutely. Like that's the, like one of the the earliest ways that we see Christians sort of trying to keep this part of culture but bring it into their Christianity, and you can't have both. But, um, yeah, and so the, then the, obviously the the book is setting up this is how people have historically, you know, reacted to culture or lived in a culture, again, generalizing. And we're not – this book is not about trying to present a new no. strategy. That's, that's a huge project that yeah. – I don't think Matt no, no, no. or I are ready to take on. And people are doing that. And there's some really good things written out there. You know, I think about um, James Davison Hunter. I think uh, about yeah. Jamie Smith. I think about Andy Crouch, Mako Fujimara. They're doing some really great work in that. But this book is to say, hey, this is less about like a uh, a sort of approach to culture. And it's about a posture, yeah. which is a posture of courage. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the, you know, even in this conversation, it just... With you two, I'm finding my heart growing in boldness. It's like going, oh my gosh, we've been here. Like we've been here. Uh, over and over and over again, the church has been here. And to stay faithful to the God of the Bible um, just keeps establishing his church, transforming the lives of people, and and really leading uh, to communities of grace and love where lives are being transformed with truth um, and and grace. And I think that's the that's the thing that in in writing the book and in preaching the sermon series, what I wanted to kind of just have start to grow in the hearts of our members and then podcasters and then anyone who would end up reading this book is that ultimately, when all said and done, we know how the story ends. So we have to be faithful um, to the God of the Bible and and realize that that part of that, if we really want to believe the Bible, can be humiliation and marginalization. And so it, it is a bit of a new concept, and I, and I think it probably is born straightly from Christendom, that, that we're to have cultural favor. Uh, and, and so like that, if you look at the 2,000 years of Christian history, I mean, how many little bitty moments of history have we had cultural favor? Uh, I mean, not much uh, of this run. And so I, I think to, to just really go, no, 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 the, the kingdom of God can't be stopped. The gospel's going to go forward. Now, the the epicenter of the Christian faith might certainly shift away from the West. Yeah. Um, and, and that's fine because it was never a Western religion to begin with. Uh, it's a global one. Um, and so we've got to prepare our hearts that, that we've got much to learn from our brothers and sisters that are in different parts of the world uh, about what it means to be faithful uh, in what appears to be our, our coming marginalization and maybe humiliation. That's a really good point. Before before we move on, I do want to ask this question. So uh, this idea of the, uh, you know, you're talking about uh, Acts 29, Matt, going to the global gathering in Rome. What's the sort of, 
I don't know, the take of some of your friends uh, from around the world as they look at America and they've been dealing in their own sort of post-Christian sure. context. Mm-hmm. You know, the Europeans are amazing, but the, they would even readily admit, um, like if I think of our guys in Paris and, and our guys um, in, in other parts, that they're, they're, they're amazed at the speed at which it's happening in the U.S. Wow, okay. Whereas they would look at it and go, oh, man, we had, you know, two and a half decades, three decades to kind of watch this thing come and unfold. And man, you guys voted on it in, you know, six months or whatever. And so there's a sense even among Europeans and in other parts of the world that the speed at which this is happening um, is something really strange. Yeah. Um, But then, so if we just take it out of the European context though, and now you get down into Africa or you get over into Asia, now you're having a whole nother conversation, conversation. right? Yeah, specifically uh, if you get into what's going on in China. And man, if you want another thing to encourage your heart, just go study briefly what happens once all the um, Euro missionaries are kicked out of China and what ends up happening to the kingdom in China yeah. uh, once all the Euro missionaries are kicked out, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and so that's the thing. Like this, it, God will not be stopped by that's the right. schemes of man. And historically, the more they press... The, the faster it grows and the more radical it gets. Um, and so there's this weird this weird thing in my own heart about uh, I'm eager for some of this as means of purification, um, and then I'm not eager for it because purification almost always comes with fire. So, so talk, This idea of purification is really important. I think the book sets it up well because after we sort of set up the problem, we move into this idea of Christendom. You mentioned yeah. it earlier, sort of the history of the church uh, as it relates to cultural engagement. Um, but what is Christendom? What's a good definition of Christendom, would you say? Yeah, I, so the way I think about Christendom, and and by the way, this is a, you're going to find 400 answers sure. to yep. this, right? But but I think if you I think Christendom probably begins uh, around the time Constantine just says, "Hey, this is the religion of the world," yep. and by the world I'm saying Rome, and then throughout, really even at the fall of the Roman Empire, you, you still have these kind of outposts uh, uh, of Christianity. Say these are the laws. This is what morality is. Yeah. This is how we're going to behave. This and it was all it was all kind of codified with the Bible. Um, and then, of course, you've got different parts of the world where this would totally be untrue in. So, again, you begin to think about the Middle East. There's a whole nother thing going on there, right, with Muhammad and, and all of that at that time. But but you, you saw specifically the Western world being fundamentally shaped by the concepts of the Bible and by Christian teaching, a lot of it even unbeknownst to them and being done by believers or unbelievers who had just steeped in a, a moral, ethical um, Bible-based kind of understanding of the universe without even knowing that that was the air they had breathed. So you think about Thomas Jefferson or somebody else who's just not a believer, but will talk like and act like and will operate like one who understands that they're the God of the Bible seems to be somewhat true. Yeah, it's like the it's like it's not only the background noise; it's the foreground noise. You mm-hmm. can't even think in categories different. Uh, or it takes that much extra effort to think in different categories than you'd find in the Bible. I think that's what Christendom is. There's yeah. not. It's like to be to be secular almost seems like it's not a live option. Just to use right. that, and idea. it's also this idea, like, and I think it kind of starts here. It's this top down. That's right. Thing where there's whether it's the the official religion of a you know an empire or Absolutely. it's this direct tie with you know a country, its government. 
But that seems to be a theme within Christendom is this relationship between church and state. Well, um, you see that after the fall of Rome, who who is there to pick up the pieces but the church. The church yeah. is actually the institution that stays. It becomes this great power. And even then, as Protestantism comes in, you have different kingdoms sort of declaring for one side or the yeah. other. And what are they doing? They're marrying sort of this idea of church and state. And so then if you're born in Holland or whatever, or you're born in Sweden or you're born here, it's like you're automatically what? Church of... Sweet Church of England, Church yeah, of Sweet. Yeah. You're, it's just you're part of it, right? Yep. Just by the nature of being born there, nominalism sort of sets in. It's just, but how does that? So you can see in Europe, like you were saying, Matt, it looks different than other areas. But how did Christendom maybe affect American culture? What would you? What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I think that America was in some ways trying to rid themselves of this yeah. idea. Um, with the establishment of a republic, you know, and something different than, you know, a monarchy, which is what they were used to. And they saw the abuses of power. They saw the problems with the church being so tied to the state. But um, what really happened in many ways is a different form of that. Um, And just like Christendom of old, there were some really good things about that and then some really bad things about that. When we think about the really bad things of Christendom, we think about really horrible things done in the name of Jesus. We think about manifest destiny when we think about the United States. And that's a whole other issue that I don't want to get into, you know, on this podcast. But I think there was there were good intentions, but with the formation of a government in a country that's so tied to Christian ideas and Christian beliefs, I wouldn't call it a Christian nation just to be, you know, to be clear about that. I, I don't think there's such a thing, you know, until, the, you know, the kingdom, <laughs> the kingdom is consummated, yeah. right? Um, but, yeah, it, so it, it inevitably happened. I think they, they were trying to avoid it, but I think we really became this quote-unquote Christian society to some degree that was highly, highly influenced by by Christian ideas. And in some sense, we're feeling, right? I mean, now this maybe has been the longer process, but as I've heard you guys talking, we're sort of feeling the undoing of Christendom in a little bit uh, much later down the road, right? And so as Matt talked about the idea of purification, I thought it was important maybe to talk about that idea of Christendom, you know, sort of look at how it's affected America, and then go to this idea of, so what is it, why does the end of Christendom, why why does the end of um, sort of the comfort we had, uh, we being the church, being sort of the, um, uh, I, I don't know, sort of having a favored position, why should why should the end of that give us courage? Because I think for a lot of people, we as we started talking about, uh, it's something that drives fear. It's like, wait, wait a minute. It sort of seems, um, it, it doesn't, it seems counterintuitive. It's like, wait, we're going to start being sued and called bigots and yeah. people are going to start... Uh, you know, we're going to start, you know, catching more shade. You know what I mean? Like You're so hip. Yeah, well, thanks, man. I, uh, catch and shade. I tried. Do you catch shade or do you throw it? I don't know. Uh, you honestly, can catch and throw it, I think. Can you catch and throw it? That's another podcast. This is Culture Matters, so we'll have to have a whole one yeah, on that. Yeah, we should. Uh, yeah, so I'm just trying to stay young. I'm trying to kind of broaden the base of our listenership. So if you're out there, <laughs> do comment in the comment section. <laughs> Uh, but anyways, no, but like, why is that? I mean, to me, I'm going, man, this is frightening. It seems like I'll let you answer this, Matt, but it seems like it's not like the response isn't courage, but I think the book is saying it's an opportunity for courage, courage, for courage. If you're taking the right. And that's even what I'm, what I'm saying is that like when I'm saying in the book and in the sermon series, 
hey, hey, listen, this is going to be hard. But when it's hard, the answer can't be retreat. That's right. The answer can't be um, denial. Yeah. The the answer has to be firm-footedness in the gospel, understanding salt and light with love and hospitality in the midst. Yeah. Um, and so there are these Bible verses that we haven't really known what to do with mm. that in the next 20 years we're going to know exactly what to do with. That's good. And and I think that's the message of the book. That certainly was the heart behind the sermon series was that, hey, this is there are going to be some scary days ahead. There are going to be these moments that are discombobulating, and we need to seize those opportunities to show where our hope is and where our confidence is. Yeah, because, I mean, as we've already said, you know, like the <laughs> our, the success of God's, the, the bride of Christ, the church, it does not hinge on political power, oh, no, no, no. on cultural clout. Like that's just not the world in which we live. And, you know, we're arguing in this book that, you know, we know the story that's unfolding. We have the hope of the resurrection. So when we get into a situation like this, on the one hand, we know that the church has always thrived here. Yeah. And, and then on the other hand, where it's scary, we, we do have hope and courage because we know how this thing is, you know, going to pan out in the end. I, I, this is just such an important conversation. It really is such an important conversation because um, as we sort of as, – as society gets more fractured, as things become more difficult for Christians – the the idea that we have an option or this opportunity for for courage is it's so important because the other side of this is just tons of silliness it's right. either it's either like you guys said the sort of bending to culture or even just that grasping you know that grasping to try just to always maintain frustrated frustration right? always and, frustrated and and how could you ever fulfill the mission of god when you're angry like that yeah yeah now yeah. heartbroken i can understand yeah um earnest for truth to be established, I can understand, but but an angry thrashing at the invisible it is never going to lead to the things that our hearts are really hungry for, which is to see um, Christ's love and peace established in people's hearts. And uh, I think that we, we need to be probably more serious about the Bible than we're being right now in overall in evangelicalism. I think uh, the things that will probably hurt us moving forward if we're not careful is biblical illiteracy. Mm. We've got to know what the Bible says. We're not doing a good job at that. Uh, we're about two inches deep in most places. I, mm. I think we're trying to grow in that area, and I think a lot of—and then I think—and um, this is going to be a strange one, but I just think an ignorance of Christian history mm. uh, is probably also not helpful right now in this moment. Uh, because if you can go, oh, my gosh, yeah, we've, we've done this. And, and Christ is sustained, and the church has grown. And so I'm constantly saying that here at the village. I'm like, we're in Dallas. Yeah, That's a long way from Jerusalem, and we're speaking English, and that's not Greek <laughs> or Aramaic or Hebrew, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Like, this has happened, right? Yeah. And, and right now, all over the world, in thousands of different languages, the bread is being broken, the word is being opened, right. songs of praise are going to heaven, and people are being baptized. Yeah. Like yeah. what God promised Abram is happening, and in 2018, we get to see it. Yeah. So, so that's it, right? So, like that's the question, and I think you're you're already answering it, but maybe we could talk about it a little more, sort of in a granular level. Mm-hmm. Um, so, we need courage in this age, right? In yes. this age that we're facing, this age you can call it age of unbelief, post-Christian, secular, however you want to sort of term it, but. Um, the question is, so how do we get courage? It's it's sounds like by doing the things you're saying, but let's let's take it a little more deep. How do we get courage in this age of unbelief? Yeah, I mean the I feel like the book 
makes two main arguments around like in obviously acknowledging the fact that there are other ways you're going to find, you know, courage, but it sets up two main ideas. And the first, well, underneath it all is just the reality of like, Hey, in a, in a time like this, in an unknown, ever changing world, like the worst thing you can do is try to look to yourself yeah, to look to institutions that yeah. you maybe have historically looked to. And that's what you're seeing when you were talking about this being an important conversation. Yeah. You see these people sort of grasping at these political institutions that they, you know, they're trying to hold on to those. But the book is calling us to get our eyes off of ourselves, yeah. off of these other groups, these institutions, and getting them on the Lord, which is a very simple idea in yeah. many ways. But it's arguing that, like, hey, the, the, you know, there are two things about God that are super important in a time like this, that he is all-knowing. Yep. You know, he's infinitely wise. And so it, it's it's that idea. You talk about this all the time, Matt, you know, in sermons. It's like, I don't think God is surprised by this. Yeah. Like, you know, him being all-knowing and and having already decided how this and already in some ways accomplished how this whole thing is yeah. going to to work itself out. It's like if that's truly the God we believe in, why would we be fearful, right? Yeah, like, yeah. And we can have courage if that's the God. And he's infinitely rich. That's another that, – I thought that that was an interesting point in the book. But when you think about your job, yeah. when you think about your family, but you know that you you know, are following the God of the universe who has all the riches in the world, all the resources are at his hands. You know, he is – he's sovereign – over all these things, you know, in his providence. And and that gives us hope too. It's like, yeah. I don't have to, like, if my job is on the line because of, you know, I'm now living in a society where I can't be a Christian at my job and I do something that gets me fired. It's, that's going to be hard. I don't want to like, <laughs> you know, overstep that idea. Like it's going to be hard. There's going to be suffering, but like we serve this God who, you know, he's infinitely wise and infinitely resourceful and, you know, has all the riches in the world. So yeah. I think about that you know, as being one of the, the going and dwelling and thinking about and considering and learning more about that God um, yeah. in a time like this. Yeah. I, and again, I, I think that the body itself is a big part of this. Yeah. I think the way that we go to church now and don't belong to one, mm-hmm. uh, specifically in cities, um, that, that that's going to not, that's going to backfire. Yeah. Uh, because let me tell you what doesn't hold up well. Um, in the midst of marginalization and humiliation, um, a 20-minute a pep talk on Sunday morning, yeah, um, and you know, a, a free gym to go play Christian basketball at, and so not not dogging churches with those kind of facilities as much as saying that people who who have refused to belong to a community of faith that is serious about following Jesus, regardless of the weather. Um, that those people are going to find themselves in in a lot of danger um, come the the swing of this thing. Yeah. And I think this is why when Paul is writing to the Hebrews, he's saying, or when the author of Hebrews is writing to the Hebrews, he goes, hey, don't neglect this, Yeah. right? Don't encourage one another, right? Don't neglect, gather. You're going to need one another in this season to remind each other, yes. right? To be there for one another, to to visit one another in prison, to when your friend, uh, co-laborer, brother, sister in Christ loses their job, not for being an arrogant, pompous jerk, but just by refusing to go with what is blatantly sinful, mm-hmm. then the community of faith has the opportunity to love and serve and take in and provide and, and in a way that that those, those lanes won't be open anywhere else. 
And so I, I think that's a huge part of it too. One to just really get our eyes yeah. uh, on the God of the Bible and remember. And I think that goes back to knowing the Bible and goes back to knowing Christian history. And then on top of that, really being committed to the body in a way that I, and I just think is foreign in a lot of places. Yeah. Um, specifically, like I look at the Metroplex and there's these really amazing super churches everywhere. So it's not uncommon for people to go to like two or three different churches, like really love the music over here, but love the preaching over here. But golly, man, our kids love the kids wonderland over here. And, and, and so they don't really belong anywhere in a way that they understand their gifts and their callings and they're serving the body with those. They're just kind of consumers. Yeah, it even calls into question for churches and church leaders. What is it that you're doing when you gather? Because if yeah. it's not practicing, proclaiming, teaching, um, remembering yeah. the Christian story, then it's not going to be helpful. I mean, yeah. like that's that's what we're supposed to be doing. And there's a way of seeing what's unraveling in history right now, and that has lots of different stories and ways of seeing that. But we know what the true story is, yeah. so it's that anchor. It's that going back no week in and week out, meeting with our you know our communities and remembering that story, telling one another that story. And I think that that again, that's gonna that's gonna give us the right eyes, the right posture, yeah. you know, day in and day out, really. It, I, I love this because it's not uh, five five easy steps to remaining courageous in the face of you know it's like <laughs> yeah. it's not um, it's not a shallow strategy but we're also not trying to I don't think it's also we're as you said earlier David I don't think it's we're not trying to lay out some new thing or new approach no. or new strategy um, we're talking about sort of a an ethic or an ethic for our for your life a yeah. posture with how we live both in you know, seeking God and seeking to to commune with God in a deep way, to know his word and to know how he sees us, right? Uh, uh, and to then to see others, that tr- to strive to see others that way, to belong to a community, to remember the story that we're a part of. Uh, this is what it means to be a Christian, right? And so, um, yeah, uh, so let, let's talk about that. Um, uh, living with courage, living with this posture, how do we how do we apply it to maybe some different issues? Um, what what might it look like in these spaces? Yeah, I mean, I think it just just depends on the space. You know, yeah. I, one of the the one things I would be quick to highlight is work because that's where most yeah. of our people, that's where most of us spend <laughs> all of our time, all of our days. You know, in the workplace, and the the book kind of concludes in saying like, okay, then what does courage look like? And it talks, it looks at First Peter, and then it talks about holiness. It looks a bit like it talks about devotion, and then it talks about evangelism. Those are like the three. Like that's a picture of courage, yeah. right? And First Peter's a great example because they're living as exiles. That's right. Mm-hmm. You know, the audience that he's writing to in that book. So we can relate. We can connect to them, although it's a different situation. But if you're in the workplace, and you know, holiness is what it looks like. If you have the courage of the Lord, then you are going to be ferociously holy, and that means you're not going to make decisions that are sinful or, you know, decisions that would run contrary to what you know is, you know, true and good and, and right. And and you can kind of walk through, I feel like that category presents something for any social issue really, or any life issue, whether it's work, whether it's a, you know, some sort of hot button thing, like, you know, racial injustice and, and how we deal with that. But, you know, you think devotion being another thing, it's like if at work, if you have courage, you're going to be devoted. You're going to be devoted to the people you work with. You're going to be devoted to your clients. You're going to have a covenantal way, you know, of entering into those spaces. And then evangelism, like you are, you're going to, you're not going to be walking in fear of having the hard conversations, of stepping out in faith. 
and, and sharing your faith, you know, with the, the, the people you're surrounding yourself with, which is just, it's, that's such a basic answer. You know, yeah. I, I feel like that's not anything novel at all, but like if you're walking in courage, then I, it, it seems a lot easier to do those things. But that's, that's just like one example with work. Yeah. Well, and I think that, that, it's going to be in the nuance of those things because we've been doing those things, right? But now in yeah. this new world, they'll be nuanced. So I'm wondering, and this is at this point, it's just all it can be is wandering. Yeah. Uh, I think evangelism is probably going to look more and more and more and more like hospitality. Yeah. Uh, and and long-term deep relationships of love where the gospel is shared over and over and over again as people are invited in. And I know there'd be a segment out there that's arguing that that's the way it's always been, but I think there's been a real programmatic approach. And I don't want a dog like Alpha or Christianity Explained because those tools have always worked best in the context of relationship, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That you've been in my home. You know I love you. You've got these questions. I don't feel as adequate. What I can do is love you and encourage you in the Lord. So why don't you sign up for Alpha and let's get into that. And then, man, let's let's talk about what you're learning there. Here's Let's go through Christianity Explained together. and let's. But I think more and more they're going to know, and this sounds – they're going to know we're Christians by that love and hospitality and opening up of our homes. And I'm not afraid of you, and I'm no bigot. Please come to my house, yeah. have dinner at my table, sit at my but, – but not and, – and you nailed it with the holiness aspect, not so I can show you that I'm cool right. and that I'm likable and that I'm – but because Christ has loved me and that love compels me to love you like Christ loved me. Yeah. And, and that's the – I said it this weekend in our new series, but I, I just think we're the program now. Like we've got to be the program. We're the ones that get in there and um, weep and like I'm, there. There's this man that just became a Christian uh, at the village. I'm wondering how many emails I'm going to get myself here. I'm just going to go for it. <laughs> and the guy that was instrumental in leading him to the Lord. I mean, like literally went to his house and would play Dungeons and Dragons for hours. And then when there was a real nasty thing that happened in one of his relationships and he just went over there and wept with him and prayed with him. And then, man, they started inviting him to birthday parties and to, and this guy just like really anti-Christian. So when I'm saying, hey, there's this kind of religious spiritual thing, like he's he was not, he did not land there. Yeah. He's one of those that this is all nonsense. This is all um and and it was a year of Dungeons and Dragons and birthday parties and before he first came to church. Wow. You know, and, and then he first came to church. And then there were all these awkward questions about why I yell like I do and help me understand this. And it was this really awkward lunch. And then he didn't come back for six weeks and then he came back again. And then there was another awkward lunch and then more awkward conversations and awkward spaces and until the Lord just grabbed hold of his heart. And and I think it's going to look a lot more like that mm-hmm. um, than, say, somebody coming and listening to one sermon and going, oh, my gosh. Although I, don't, I never want to limit the Spirit's power to do that. Right. I, I just think there's so much that people are being discipled in now that is of uh, a skeptical nature. Um, that that it, it's just going to, the approach is going to be different. So uh, a Christian who's unwilling to walk in hospitality, uh, I think will probably not see the kind of fruit that we're hoping for uh, as followers of Christ on the mission of God. Yeah, and I think people are longing for that too. I, you know? too. I mean, they always have been as, as human beings, but you yeah. think about our digital world where relationships are so thin, where a friend is <laughs> this thing, yeah. this thing on Facebook that's not a friend mm-hmm. at all. I think 
people are willing to even put down where they've drawn lines. Like, you know what? I'm not going to talk to this person yeah. because they're they're a conservative. I think that when it comes down to it, they're hungry for relationship yeah. in in that community. So it people are eager for this, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be through a life lived. It's going to be life on life. It's not going to be, hey, come to church with yeah. me one time. It's exactly what you just said. It's going to be somebody playing Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Although I think that's like the devil's game or something. That's what I was. Yeah. I mean, that's what I've been told. <laughs> yeah. Let's let's dream for a minute. I know that we're about to wrap this up, but when we think about courage, this is something the book doesn't even dare get into. But when we our political situation, what does it mean to be courage, courageous? and be engaged in politics in a time like this? this that, is, that's a very difficult question. It's but. a really hard question. I had a college student come up after service, uh, and it was after, I cannot remember which um, sermon it was, but it was recent uh, during our prayer series. And, um, it, yeah, and she basically said, <laughs> uh, uh, hey, should Christians be involved in politics? Like, should we be going after political office? What should it look like? How should I engage as a as a young college student who wants to change the world? What's this supposed to look like for me? And it was the first time I've been asked that question in a really long time, and maybe the first time I've ever had a Christian ask me that yeah. question. Uh, and so I'm sure I did a horrible job. But, <laughs> yeah, I think it is a really important question. What's it look like to engage in politics? What's it look like to engage in not just in politics, but in our current political system, yeah. you know. So I, I don't, I don't think I would waver right now in how I would answer that now, as opposed to how I answered that eight years ago. Even yeah. though the climate was very different, well, probably eight years ago it was starting to get like it is now, and yeah. now it's just been. I don't even know how to describe where we are right now, but uh, I, man, I want to encourage Christians to be in the public square, everywhere in the public square. Yeah. Um, and you now you've got to count the cost at that. Uh, I think Christians are called to be good citizens, yeah. and so uh, they have got to be. That means we all had to engage in this process. Yep. Um, now, there's a way in which I think we can engage this process that is mindful of the other, um, where we don't give ourselves over to, um, I think, kind of the cultural norms of attack uh, and passively aggressively or just aggressively jab, uh, especially on social media and things like that. So I think there needs to be a a sensitivity about uh, how can I have this conversation in a in the right space and the right time so good. to be as winsome as possible uh, around the heart of this issue as opposed to jumping into these partisan kind of food fights where everybody gets dirty yeah. and you even forget what you're fighting about 10 minutes in. Um, and so that's always been my take. I, I think we've got to be active in the public square. We certainly shouldn't shrink back from yeah. the public square. But I, I would just say the complexities of this day and the difficulty of that in this day it is not something that the Spirit of God can't overcome, but it, it's going to take a uniquely wired human being to do that. Yeah. Which, yeah. praise God, he uniquely wires human beings, That's right? right? Psalm 139. Amen. Yeah, and this this isn't as much an answer as it is just going back to those categories from First Peter, that, that idea of holiness, devotion, evangelism. And so I think about yes and amen to it. We have to be in the public square. We have to be engaged in politics. The Bible calls us to seek the good, you know, of the city, of the community, of the culture. Like that's that's a part of who we are and what we do as Christians. But you have that idea of holiness. It's like, okay, I can be engaged to what degree until I have to give up yeah. 
my holiness. Yeah. And, and there have to be lines there There's for no Christians question. where you, you have to have integrity, you have to have character. And that's where it's just, it's so complex because it's like, okay, well, what's the line? Like at what degree can you compromise some yeah. of that or do you ever compromise some of that? And there's not a clear-cut answer no, here, I don't not. think. And then you think about but the- we have to be able to have the conversation. Yes. Like I, I do think we got to do it lovingly. We have to have we, – we have to be able to – but there is this sense of – and please – I mean I really do mean it. I think I'm talking about with each other. Christians need sure. to be able to have this conversation mm-hmm. and it's a hard conversation. And we need to be okay disagreeing about that yeah. obviously. But it is one – where I feel like sometimes people are like, um, we can't really have this conversation. This isn't, you know, or I don't want to enter into these hard waters or mm-hmm. don't don't say that about me. This was my choice. You know, it's just a conversation that I think has been hard in the past couple of years because it's become so, I don't know, I don't want to say politicized, but it's just become so angry. It's, it's become yeah. so angry. And just to be able to say like, hey, do you feel like you're compromising your holiness or your values when you are thinking the way you're thinking. Do you think, you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. hey, is it really a great idea to align ourselves with certain people and certain, you know, I I think an easy one would just be to say, like, look at the the, the race in Alabama with that dude, Roy Moore, who's been accused of assaulting all these underage girls. I mean, like, come on. At some point, it's just going to get to the place where we start to look ridiculous and we can't even have conversations. Yeah. I mean, frankly, so I, I can well, you think it's going to get there. No, or it is. It's there. already there. Yeah. We're already yeah. there. Yeah. And so I know that's a hot button topic, but I just think those are those are questions we should be wrestling with in our communities and talking about with each other. And it's not again, it's not to be like overtly political. It's just one that I think we're going to have to have, especially as we talk about, hey, evangelism and living a life uh, of this sort of Christian ethic. So I think and, this goes back to that space of knowing when to have the conversation right. and how to have the conversation. That's right. Absolutely. So I like for me. I'm I'm glad I'm on a social media break right now, and I just can't tell you how much happier I am. Yeah, and and the outlook on life is just so different just from being off Twitter for the last three weeks. Yeah, I mean because there's just so much anger and hostility out there. Yeah, so I just think that's a terrible place to try to work through. Amen. Yeah, uh, all of these thoughts. I think blogs are terrible places. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think across because you can't you you will mistake tone. Um, oh. I heard Brene Brown talk about, I don't, I, I just read her book rising strong. So I, I don't, I'm trusting that she's done her research. That's what she does. Yeah. yeah. She talks about the human, human beings need the story. The brain needs the story. Yeah. Needs to understand. So it, and, and it felt the brain will fill in the story with pieces that are what she calls confabulations or lies truthfully told. Mm. Right. It's like, I, I, they hate me. That's why they didn't call me and invite me to their birthday party because I offended them last time we were together. Well, Brene would say, man, that's probably not true at all. It's a confabulation. Mm. And so w- without the capacity to be able to have a conversation with someone face-to-face where we can read tone, where we can, I can see, oh my gosh, my words are starting to really frustrate you. Are you okay? Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, I'm, I, we just disagree here. Is it okay if we, without that capacity to model that, then, because I've even learned this preaching, man, I've got to toe this really fine line mm. of being prophetic, yeah. but not in that prophetic act, burning those who are curious, but but aren't sure what to do yet. Yeah, um, specifically around um, matters of race and matters like I, there are plenty of people 
that I don't mind if they get offended and leave. Yes. But there's this group that just doesn't understand. Yeah. And they want to understand, but they've got all these questions. And what I want to be able to do is cultivate space where they can ask those questions without the feeling of, oh, you're a racist or uh, you're such an idiot. or and, and so that's, I think that's the more challenging thing is how to find the spaces to have that conversation where you're not immediately triggered by assuming somebody's saying something that they're not really saying. So as we come to a close uh, and thinking about the message of the book, having courage, not fear, um, what would be our hope for the village church and other listeners? Yeah, I think the the simple hope, you know, my part in the book and even thinking about taking on this project and, and being a, you know, playing a role would just be that people walk away from the book encouraged. Like, that's such a simple thing. But, like, I want people to have a sense of optimism, yeah. a sense of hope, and, and where they've been stifled by fear or they've been stuck in fear because of they just don't know what to do with this situation. I hope it gets them their eyes off of themselves or other places and onto the triune God of the Bible and the story that unfolds in Scripture, which gives us great, great, great hope. It reminds us that this yeah. isn't the, the first time that this happened. Yep. You know, this is nothing new. The scriptures actually prepare us yeah. for this very thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, my, my hope all along in both preaching it and then turning it into a book is just to kind of embolden Christians hmm. uh, to consider what is true in light of whatever the weather is. Like, I, I still believe that any moment, you know, revival could break out out of the middle of nowhere and, and things shift radically in a different direction than it appears we're going. Uh, and we've seen some of that in, in church history. And so uh, whatever the weather is, um, or I think Andrew Wilson called them seasons, you know, is this winter, is this spring, is yeah. this summer? Yeah, yeah. Uh, such a great blog post. But um, whatever season it is, whatever the weather's like, I just want us emboldened to serve and love the God of the universe. That's right. Well, thank you guys so much. It was awesome. Thank you. Yeah, glad to do it. If there's anything you heard on the show that you'd like to know more about, you can find details on our website, www.tbcresources.net. Today's episode was produced by David Roark and edited and mixed by Christopher Sterrett. Our next episode will focus on the kingdom of God and what kingdom citizenship means for the way we create culture and engage with culture as Christians. Thanks for listening. Hit that like button, please subscribe, and we'll see you next time.